First, I hold my hands out like they're on a steering wheel. Then I look over my shoulder. One, okay, cool guy. Two, three times. Next, oh, I put it in reverse. Meep, meep, meep. Then I take it up and down, up, up, and down. And that, kiddos, is called the forklift. Dance like a dad. It's a great way to make a moment with your kids. Now that's dancing. Sure beats flossing. Visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. The Bobby Hull story has to be one of the most exciting stories in sports. Hull is probably the most idolized player the game has ever known. After 15 record-filled years with the Chicago Blackhawks, Bobby Hull joined the World Hockey Association by signing a multi-million dollar contract that made sports history. The WHA scored another first-year coup by signing network television contracts in both the United States and Canada, something that no other major sports league had ever done before. But according to Gary Davidson, the high point of the season was the new league's acceptance by the fans. What the fans saw, they liked. They came in increasing numbers, pouring through turnstiles from Boston to Los Angeles, Alberta to Quebec. Over three million of them in all, more than twice what the critics agreed would be a good first year's attendance. Even more significant is that the attendance figures improved as the season progressed. And now with more stars coming into the league, Gary Davidson looks for that trend to continue. Welcome to Good Seats Still Available, a curious little podcast devoted to exploring what used to be in professional sports. Here's your host, Tim Hanlon. Hey there, everybody. How are you? This is Tim Hanlon, uh, as announced. And of course, this is Good Seats Still Available, the curious little podcast that is devoted to what used to be in professional sports. As the clip you just heard gives some indication, we're going to get back into the World Hockey Association, uh, the WHA. We uh, had a, a, a great uh, response to our very recent uh, conversation with uh, Curtis Walker a couple weeks back as we got into the original version of the Winnipeg Jets. And the first part of that original version, of course, uh, was domiciled uh, as the uh, oft champion uh, of the World Hockey Association, the WHA. And uh, in a bunch of uh, responses that we got to that episode, it, it kind of reminded me that uh, I thought that uh, we had also started a conversation uh, back when we uh, had our interview with uh, the great Dennis Murphy. He, the uh, founder uh, of the World Hockey Association, along with Gary Davidson, uh, the founder of the ABA, which we talked about with Dennis in that episode back in December of 2018. Uh, and obviously, Dennis went on to things like World uh, Roller Hockey International and a whole bunch of other things. But I digress. Uh, I uh, thought for sure that we had uh, perhaps done a little interview, and, and I think for, for whatever reasons, we couldn't complete it. Uh, so I did some digging. And uh, I guess we're going to sort of consider this a lost and found episode because what was uh, I thought lost is actually a good half hour and change uh, of a, uh, I guess, the beginnings of a part two conversation that we had with Dennis Murphy back again in December of 2018, about a year and a half ago. And uh, frankly, is spurring me, hopefully, to get in touch with him again, uh, if he's willing to uh, not only complete this conversation, but get into sort of the, uh, the latter part of his uh, of his sports career with Roller Hockey International, et cetera. However, you're in for a treat with this little conversation, uh, relatively brief as it may be. We, we tend to do hour plus kind of episodes around here. But uh, in here, you will hear uh, a lot of uh, first person accounts of what was going on with this thing called the World Hockey Association, getting it started up 
uh, the beginning days, uh, the initial impressions, a uh, little uh, what to worry about, what the, what uh, Dennis and, and his friends were not worried about. Uh, and that clip that you just heard was uh, from the very first uh, World Hockey Association, I guess you call it official film, uh, featuring the uh, dulcet tones of Chicago sports broadcasting legend Brad Palmer. He uh, oft remembered as uh, the professor, a uh, longtime uh, WBBM news radio uh, sports announcer, was on uh, Channel 7 here in town in Chicago for a long time, uh, was a, a longtime voice of the Chicago Bears, uh, well known for his uh, uh, studious nature and uh, uh, quick uh, knowledge of stats and 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 uh, memories and and all kinds of uh, factoids about uh, not only the Bears but also sports generally. Hence the name, the nickname. But uh, Brad was also uh, the I don't know if he's the de facto voice of the World Hockey Association in the early years, uh, but obviously he was narrating the official film for sure, uh, and he was also the voice of the uh, Chicago Cougars. Uh, of the WHA, who played in the, uh, uh, I, I, I don't know what are the charitable ways of describing the uh, the International Amphitheater, uh, but uh, let's put it this way, it was probably not the uh, highest order uh, arena, uh, either in Chicago or, or frankly anywhere to play hockey, uh, maybe only uh, beaten, so to speak, uh, in terms of, uh, uh, I want to call it decrepitness, but uh, uh, minor leagueness, I guess, from where uh, Philadelphia was playing, the Blazers. Uh, where I think was in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, or or maybe that was the the Jersey Golden Knights or whatever, but that whatever or Camden, I, whatever there was a there was a facility there in in South Jersey that either Philadelphia or one of the incarnations of uh, the New York franchise became the Jersey Knights had to play in, but uh, I think the the International Amphitheater was probably right up there in terms of uh, being. Um, uh, let's put it this way, maybe not sort of a, a top tier uh, feel. However. That uh, doesn't stop us from going back into uh, that of the World Hockey Association. And uh, that clip, uh, again, uh, is a, a bit of an indication of uh, some of the breakthrough that uh, the 1972-73 initial season brought uh, to professional hockey. It was mixing it up. And that's what we love to focus here uh, on this show are the challenger leagues and the teams that uh, inhabited such. Uh, and there's probably no better example of that than the World Hockey Association, arguably quite successful uh, in the end of the day, with uh, four franchises getting absorbed into the National Hockey League. Some call it a merger. Some call it an absorption. Some call it a, uh, I don't know, a, a capitulation. I don't know what you want to call it. I, people in Cincinnati and, and Houston are probably of a certain age who probably uh, don't think necessarily that uh, that merger slash uh, amalgamation, which uh, the NHL sort of uh, went on with, uh, was necessarily fair to them. But however, that's also for another for another episode at another time. But uh, as you may know, uh, our episode with Dennis Murphy, episode number 129. You can certainly search that up if you want and maybe listen to that one uh, in conjunction with this one. But we've done a lot of WHA uh, conversations. Uh, uh, Howard Baldwin, the uh, former owner of the uh, New England Whalers, a great guest. Uh, the late Tim Gasson, he the founder and the curator of the World Hockey Association Hall of Fame. Uh, Ed Willis, great conversation we had with him uh, about a year and a half back. Uh, Dan Bouchard had some memories, too. We talked about that with him and all kinds of other uh, people and places uh, around the WHA. J John Sterling, of course, uh, the New York uh, Raiders uh, and uh, his exploits. Lots to explore uh, in retrospect with the World Hockey Association. But let's circle it back all the way to the beginning, frankly, with the founder of such and uh, many other leagues to, uh, to boot. And this is our, if you will, our semi part two conversation with Dennis Murphy, the founder of the World Hockey Association, coming up in just a moment's time 
Uh, thank you for sticking around. You're going to enjoy it. I, uh, I almost guarantee, and I virtually, I absolutely guarantee that you will enjoy it. Uh, before we get there, I want to say thank you to one of our great sponsors. And this week it's Streaker Sports, uh, who, uh, can be found at streakersports.com. Just like it sounds, streakersports.com. Uh, and of course we want to call your attention amongst all the other sports stuff that they've got there, sports culture, they got all kinds of great uh, defunct league stuff. Why don't you uh, point your browser over to uh, streakersports.com and and go to the World Hockey Association tab, and you will be greeted by a plethora, I've been trying to use that word all day, a plethora of t-shirts with all the great logos. It's probably the most comprehensive, I think, that we've seen out there, including, of course, the Chicago Cougars, uh, the aforementioned uh, Houston Arrows, the ones that uh, didn't... uh, Make the cut. The Cincinnati Stingers also not making the cut when the uh, merger time came around, uh, but also some of the uh, original versions of uh, some of the uh, some of the teams that did. Of course, uh, in addition to that, uh, there's the New England Whalers shirt when they became uh, they obviously moved into became uh, Hartford. They're there and they're in, in a beautiful green uh, kind of textured shirt. And there's also the uh, very smart looking gray shirt uh, with the white uh, handsome WHA League logo. Uh, all of those shirts and more, and other sports for that matter, uh, can be found for you at streakersports.com, the purveyors of sports culture they consider themselves. And of course, we have a promo code for you, and that's good seats. 15% off all of your purchases at streakersports.com, promo code good seats. So celebrate the WHA. Uh, let us uh, lift the glass uh, to. Uh, in honor of uh, our guest this week, Dennis Murphy, and why not buy a T-shirt or two or seven, at that matter, using that discount? And uh, let's uh, commemorate and remember at least a little bit of the origin story of the World Hockey Association with our semi-return visit with the great Dennis Murphy. Here's our chat we had about a year and a half ago, lost but now found. Please enjoy. So when we last were discussing, we were kind of getting out of the uh, the ABA. And what I'd really love to be able to do is get a sense of how you uh, moved or or considered uh, going from the ABA and, and getting that off the ground to an entirely new endeavor with pro hockey. What was going through your mind? Well, when we uh, were in Miami, my owner, Tom Carney, who the banker, Wanted to sell the team, and this, so this, I'm sorry. Told, this, this is the Miami Floridians of the ABA. That is correct? correct. Okay, got it. And he wanted to sell the team, so a guy from New York by the name of Ned Doyle bought the team from Tom. And so when he bought the team from Tom, he had his own people, of course. And so I decided together with my family to go back to California. So we're in California, and all of a sudden, the thought came to me, you know, well, we we made basketball happen, so maybe we can do it in hockey, because I didn't know too much about hockey. So I had a good friend who, well, Russell Knott, who turned out to be a good friend, He uh, he suggested that you know, maybe we get a hold of one of his friends who lived in Canada. And so we did. And the guy was named Bill Hunter. H-U-N-T-E-R. Bill Hunter. 
and Bill used to go to Palm Springs often, so that's where he met Russell Knott. So he said, oh, sure, let, let me talk to this guy, Murphy. So Russell set up a meeting for me and, and uh, Bill Hunter, and Hunter was very active in, in hockey in Canada, especially with the Edmonton team. So we got talking, and he had a couple of other friends, one by the name of Ben Hatskin from from Winnipeg, another one by Scotty Monroe from Calgary. So we invited him to come down to California. I got together with my partners, Jerry and Gary and, and uh, Don Reagan, and they said, yeah, let's have them come down to California. So they came to California, the three of them, and we, uh, we took them to a hockey game, and they loved it, and we talked hockey, and, and Bill said, I think I'm interested in, in working with you guys. So he started working with us, and we got the thing going, and and I started traveling again and meeting a lot of people in the United States and Canada. <clears throat> we got it going again, and that's how it all started. Yeah, so all of a sudden, you're becoming, you're getting quite the reputation, I guess, with your now second league. But to back up for a second, uh, you mentioned, uh, obviously, Don Regan, but uh, two other people that... Uh, for our audience, just to clarify, one, the Gary is Gary Davidson, of course, your oh, yeah. partner in crime on the ABA and other things to come. And the Jerry is, who is the Jerry? I think I know, but uh, maybe you can tell our audience who this Jerry character is. Oh, uh, did I say Jerry? I mean, Russell not. Did I men- mention him? Oh, got it. Okay, I thought you were referring to Jerry Saperstein, who I guess was not part no, of No, Jerry Saperstein turned out, as, as you realize, more and more as we go along, he's turned out to be one of my very best friends. Matter of fact, we talk every week, so he's a very, very good friend of mine. And he's in Florida now. Yeah. So, well, I guess we'll get to Jerry in later endeavors, but he was not part of the uh, the WHA part, right? No, he wasn't part of the WHA, although he was interested in, in becoming part. I, I just didn't have a spot for him at that time. Got it. Interesting. Okay, so let me let me ask you this then. So uh, it seems to me that one of the major concepts around the idea of going after the NHL with a new hockey league was this reserve clause. Is that is that a correct assessment that that, that you felt? That, that is the correct. That is the correct assessment. And Don Reagan did a wonderful, wonderful job in presenting it to the courts, and and we won we won the battle with the National Hockey League. I mean, did you think that that was solely that that was the major reason why perhaps the WHA could be successful because you knew, or uh, in your group's estimation, you know, that it you was know, weak in that regard? People have asked me that, but the question that I always posed in my mind was: there was only six teams in the National Hockey League, and you know, there was a lot of interest in hockey, so there was a lot of cities that wanted teams, so it wasn't. Really, it wasn't that hard to put together. So why that's so that's an interesting point, right? The the lack, if you will, this is circa late nineteen sixties, right? I think a lot of people don't remember or or understand uh, 
that there were only six teams in the NHL up until the Great Expansion in 69. Right? So, so why do you think, uh, as you were putting all this together, why do you think the NHL was so, shall we say, behind in terms of understanding and, and expanding by that well, point? their teams were making pretty good money, and and they were very happy with their progress, and as it was, and so they they pretty well confined that to themselves, you know, in that area, the area of, of you know keeping it small and and not expanding at that particular time. Were there any particular markets that you immediately, your group immediately thought would be natural and perfect? For, well, Chicago uh, was one of them. Even though the Blackhawks were there? Oh, yeah, the Blackhawks were very successful, but because of their success, we thought we'd be, we'd be able to succeed. And we, you know, we, we did because of one guy, and that guy was, of course, Bobby Hall. Well, we'll get to Hull in a second, but I, I guess what I, I'm really trying to get into here is how you thought the markets, how you thought through the markets, right? Because... Something like Los Angeles, Chicago, New York, right? Those were all established NHL, right, cities. But then there was also this these other cities that didn't have hockey. So it seemed like you were trying to kind of satisfy both, right? Markets that were big that could support another team, as well as brand new markets that would love to have had professional hockey. Well, one of the biggest problems we had, okay, I and I, I blame myself for this, is I, you know, expansion was a big thing with us. So I wanted to have as many teams as I could, and I think that was a mistake on my part. I should have, you know, kept it to 12 or 24 or 16 or whatever, but not go to the to the tune that I was, you know, trying to establish all over the country and all over the world. It wasn't It wasn't the time for that, and I should not have done that. And that was my mistake. But but it did seem to me that that it was sort of predicated. It almost felt like for you to be considered legitimate and professional that you needed not all you needed teams that were sort of in the major markets that could perhaps support a competing team in a WHA, but also the markets that were just dying, frankly, for an a, a hockey franchise altogether, like a Birmingham or a a Quebec or a Houston. I think that's a pretty pretty good point. Uh, my thought were, of course, to be honest, to expand as quickly as we can, and, and to be honest again, to make as much money as I could, you know. So that you know, we were only charging at that time twenty five thousand, which was a very small amount, but at that time it was a pretty good amount. So we, you know, we were we were both greedy. And secondly, not very smart. <laughs> well, I, I don't know about that part. I, I you know, I, I understand the idea of a business enterprise, right? But I think it was is it not only smart but prescient, right? In that, I mean, you look back through history, you know, you know, circa 1969, it was only then that the NHL was adding some teams. But you guys were smart enough to recognize that hockey had some issues, some challenges, right? The reserve clause being one. The relative well, lack I of franchises. Be, I, 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 the, the reserve clause was a great job on the part of my partner, Don Reagan. He did a great job legally 
And because of that, we were able to to make a breakthrough on that. I think the National Hockey League thought they would win that case, and they they made a mistake, just like we all do. But they made a mistake in thinking that the courts would, you know, go with them. And they did not. They went with us. So that was our luck. But I, I guess that also, though, really stirred up a, a, a teapot of dissatisfaction by the players, not only in Oh, yeah. Well, the players were as normal at that time. <clears throat> they were not paid very much. And, of course, with us coming into the scene, their salaries increased, you know, immensely. So we were a, a, a dream to them, really, because we helped them get what they should have gotten in the first place. So let me talk about that then. So, so how do you? What is the what is the thinking as you get ready to find these teams and franchises and owners about players? What is your strategy? Right. Obviously, we can talk about the Bobby Hall thing, right? Which was part of a a bigger strategy. Was it to literally raid some big players, or was it to find? a whole sort of host of other players that just didn't have the opportunity to play professionally and give them a working wage. What was the strategy for players? I think it was both, both, both thoughts. Of course, we were very fortunate to get, as I said many times before, Bobby Hill. Bobby brought credibility to his league, and he said to Don and myself and, and Gary, he said, if you guys come up with a million dollars up front and the check doesn't bounce, we'll be very, very happy to join you guys. And not only did he join us, he brought 61 players with him from the National Hockey League because their salaries were much less than ours at that particular time. Anything in particular that you remember around sort of the the chase for 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 Bobby Hull, like like why him and 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 how sort of the negotiations occurred? Because Bobby it was just a huge event. Bobby was not only a great player; he was a man of great, tremendous extension, dedication, and a man who the players all had a lot of respect for. And when he made the move. I think, in my in my judgment, they felt comfortable about the fact that our league was going to make it. So that's what that's what they did on the whole. What was it? Was he just was he was Hull was Hull joking when he said he would only play for the WHA for a million dollars? I mean, I my sense is that there was a bit of a like that'll never happen, and then surprisingly, or maybe this was part of the PR strategy. A uh, million dollars showed up, if you will, to actually be legit in terms of being an offer. Well, it was a legitimate offer, and that's what he wanted. He wanted us not to talk about it. He wanted us to show us the green. So <clears throat> we did it, and that, I think, was the big breaking point. Let me ask you about the Jets and their offer, right? How much of that offer for him, for Hull, was a collective effort on the league and Perhaps was it a shared uh, 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 expense, right, where Winnipeg wasn't the only ones 
shelling out that kind of money? Was it a collective effort as much as it was the Winnipeg Jets' effort? It was an absolute collective effort. Okay. Everybody pitched in. And uh, some pitched in higher than others, but they they realized that that was a big breaking point, and so they all pitched in. And that was not hard to do. It was The guys just came up with it. Doesn't that, though, um, I, I'm surprised, though, because, and, and we've gone back and forth in, in our previous episodes about sort of central ownership versus a franchise model, right? And you just described a franchise model as kind of the, obviously for the ABA and for the WHA, and frankly, most of your sports endeavors were franchise-oriented. Yet, here you're talking about something that's sort of for the betterment of the league. How do you... How do you balance that where franchise owners kind of want to do their own thing and, and make their own way, and yet you you, you want to get them to collectively do something like getting Bobby Hull? Well, I think our ownership, the guys that we picked, were men who had successful businesses, and they realized more than effort that you needed something to, to go by. And Bobby Hull was our answer. And he turned out to be, and then from him, of course, we got Gordy Howe, and then we got Wayne Gretzky. I mean, you couldn't get three better names than those three in hockey. So I think I think our ownership, we had a good group of owners, and they all realized, and they were very, most of them were very successful in their businesses, and they they felt that this was the way to go and that's that's what Gary and I and Don did we went that way with them and and thank goodness we did because Bobby was that kind of a person what was the um what was the reaction of the NHL uh before Bobby Hull was announced that is the WHA was being formed and perhaps what was the reaction of the the NHL after his oh they 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 Really, from the beginning, they didn't think we had a chance. And to be frank, frank with you, at, at the beginning, I didn't know whether we did or not. And thank goodness we had the right type of owners, and Gary and, and Don, and we made the right decisions. So is it fair to say that the NHL kind of didn't give you much credit uh, at the early part, and that was to their detriment and your uh, early success in terms of getting attention and players? Well, we found out later that there were other people who had tried to start leagues, too, and they didn't do it. So I think the National Hockey League just felt like you did, like we did about baseball, that they they were too strong and nobody would tangle with them. And we made up our mind that that was not the case, and so we went forward and did it. But we were we were lucky; we had the right ownership, and and we had the right right people join join us from the players' level. Anything you remember from the early years, the early days of of actual getting up and running and playing uh, the stadiums? Right, seems like there were some interesting challenges there, and. And the play, right, which was high quality, relatively high quality, surprising, but it wasn't smooth, was it? These early months and years. Well, we made we made a lot of mistakes. We we picked some people that we should not have picked, 
And unfortunately, those people caused us some problems because a lot of people thought, you know, here they go again. They're starting the league and they're going to fall on their face. But after a few years, you know, it was discussed that the best thing to do is to merge, and we made the right decision there, too. We were just lucky we made the right decisions. I mean, to make decisions on the basis of whether you can make things happen or not, and we were lucky we were we were able to do it. Any um, any teams or markets or owners that uh, you thought did uh, or, or were really, really good and strong, and, and any others that you thought were surprisingly not so good? I mean, I there's a ton of examples, right? I Especially on the latter, right? I think about New York, right? The New York... You know, teams, right? when you start off a league, you never know, and so we never knew that either way. We didn't know whether the guys were giving us a bunch of baloney or whether, you know, with their statements and all that stuff, or they were right. We were lucky. We... We pick more winners than losers. That's all. At uh, at what point did um, did the idea of uh, a merger sort of come into play in your ownership conversations? Right. I mean, I, I'm. Oh I'm, yeah, we, we. That was a. I really think some of the guys had that as their goal, and that's what happened. We did merge with the with both both leagues and. And we, the four teams in the in the ABA, and all all together six in the NBA and NHL. So we were just, you know, Tim was just like everything else in life. Take a chance, and some you win, some you lose, and we were lucky we won. Um, let me ask you this question too about about that merger. So at what point? Right? Did uh, the NHL actually come to a conversation with you? Right? Because after having ignored you or uh, not sort of given you the time of day in the early part, in the early going, at what? I mean, was this the NHL all of a sudden? I really, I really think, and I want to give credit. I really think it was Red Arbach. Red was so much against us at the beginning, but when he saw that we were serious and we were doing so well. He was, I think, the leading source of the National Hockey League that pushed for a merger. Red turned out to be a real good guy, and and I I really respected him tremendously. When did you know that the WHA sort of had made it? I mean, uh, you know, you, you clearly had gotten some attention, you know, with the the, the Russians coming to uh, to play the players the. You were getting a lot of attention in markets that didn't have NHL. When when did you kind of think you knew, you were really you had really made some impact on hockey? Was it it wasn't early on, was it? We we knew we had good teams, and we knew that if we we played the National Hockey League, we'd give them a good battle, uh, and that turned out to be correct. The Edmonton Oilers won four out of five Stanley Cups after they joined the NHL on the merger. And some of the guys wanted a merger, and some of the guys did not in our group. And the National Hockey League and us agreed that four, five of our teams would go over with them, and, and that's what happened. 
Do you remember anything about which teams, like how the selection of the teams that were going to be merged occurred? Because I'm sure there were a few hurt feelings by some that were well, taken, like Cincinnati. Of course, Edmonton, Winnipeg, Calgary, uh, Quebec City were, you know, were teams that that were natural. They wanted to go into the National Hockey League. It was something that was always in their mind and this we were we were the source and so that was that was what made it happen as far as the merger is concerned the canadians especially and they they pushed real hard for it and they were they were right and thank goodness they were because edmonton winnipeg and all the other teams that did very well with, with, with the National Hockey League. As did Hartford, right, which was the only one from the United States that sort of made it. I, I guess my question is, I, my understanding is, man, maybe you remember the specifics, maybe you don't, um, that uh, there were, kind of, I, there were, from what I understand, two other teams that were kind of in the mix that kind of got shut out, that being Birmingham and Cincinnati. Um, anything? Yeah, they wanted teams badly, and they had the financial backing. But... You know the National Hockey League. They they were in control, really, basically, of, of the merger because we were asking them to go in with them. If it had been the other way, maybe we would have been the same way. But that's what happened. We went in with them. Okay. What what about the legacy of the WHA? There were there were a bunch of rules, new rule changes, and um and and obviously some quality players too. Uh, is there anything that uh, stands out in your mind as as the WHA sort of flavor of hockey being different than the NHL and its legacy? I, I, like overtime, I think was a WHA. That was our right? idea. Right? Oh yeah, we had you know we had good rules. They had good rules, and we just combined the two and. And went from there, but basically, to be honest with you, I had very little to do with after they got together on the merger, so I didn't, you know, I didn't spend a lot of time in that area because at that particular time, I was also working with Team Tennis, so I was pretty busy, and so I didn't spend the time on the merger, but. The guys who did did a good job, I thought, and I hope they're doing a good job today, and I think they are. So let's just hope that things keep going well for everybody in hockey. All right. Well, unfortunately, we uh, have to leave it there. And it's all coming back to me now. Uh, you know, this is a year and a half ago. So, uh, you know, uh, shoot me for forgetting. But um, I believe we uh, had set up or at least I had thought we had set up the time to uh, go deep into the WHA like we did with our uh, earlier episode with the uh, uh, American Basketball Association. But uh, I think Dennis had gotten the time wrong and he had uh, some other appointment to go to. Uh, and he uh, pr- uh, profusely apologized that uh, at the end of this clip. I saved you from that. Uh, and uh, I uh, just uh, foolishly have not followed up since because I just uh, kept going on with other uh, episodes and whatnot, and we had a great response to the ABA episode. Uh, but I uh, probably do owe Dennis another call so we can hopefully maybe go a little bit uh, deeper into the WHA story and, frankly, some of his uh, other exploits. He was involved in the World Team Tennis thing. We're going to get into that in a couple of weeks uh, with a couple of guests, finally, luckily. 
uh, and uh, certainly Roller Hockey International, which we've uh, had a cup of coffee uh, with with our pal uh, Richard Neil Graham. Uh, and we have another episode uh, probably featuring a very special guest uh, going to be related to that as well. So, uh, Dennis, if you're listening, uh, uh, we will uh, probably try to give you a buzz uh, sometime in the weeks ahead. And maybe we can uh, sort of complete the circle of all of your Challenger League goodness that uh, we uh, bow reverentially uh, in your general direction uh, in thanks uh, to sports fans or from sports fans all over the place. Uh, without pioneers like you and your uh, your uh, cohort in crime, Gary Davidson, and and, and a whole bunch of uh, of others, uh, we I don't think would have such a um, uh, an interesting and colorful history to uh, to go back into each and every week here on this show, uh, as well as uh, the uh, the current uh, uh, you know uh, amazingness of of pro sports if and when it comes back into its full uh, glory. Uh, a lot of the uh, pioneering efforts uh, and uh, uh, vanguards of uh, of those things uh, that we enjoy today came from uh, a lot of your innovations back in the day. All right. We uh, want to, before we run, thank you for not only listening, but uh, for following us on social media. We're at uh, all kinds of different places. You'll find us on Instagram at Good Seats Still Available. You'll find us on Twitter at Good Seats Still. Uh, There is a Facebook page devoted to us. Just search us up there. Uh, And uh, if you forget all of that and just want more, all the various episodes that you just may have missed. Why don't you uh, point your browser, whatever version of uh, Firefox or uh, Microsoft Edge or Chrome, whatever you use these days, to goodseatsstillavailable.com. Yep, that's our website. Every single stinking episode, including this little mini lost and found, uh, will be found literally and figuratively on that site. Uh, of course, why don't uh, you make your life a lot easier by just simply subscribing to wherever you get your podcast? That's the easier thing to do, for God's sakes. Uh, but either way, please continue to come and enjoy uh, our little uh, drizzle of content uh, that we throw out each and every week to you in our silly little genre of forgotten sports. We uh, appreciate your passion, your uh, your interest, your uh, proverbial cards and letters. You want to send us some email? Go ahead. At, uh, we're at hello at goodseatsstillavailable.com. And uh, oh, oh, yeah, don't forget on the website, just if you search for it, I need to call it out a little bit more easily, but. There is a little link in there, if you just search around for it, to uh, get onto our weekly email newsletter. Uh, just uh, give us your uh, your name and your email address, and uh, we will not share it with anybody. No spam, we promise. Uh, but we will send you each and every week a little head start to uh, what uh, will be uh, the topic do, I don't know, it's, uh, whatever the French word is for week. Because uh, we do it every week, and we'd like to send a little uh, early advance notice to our friends uh, to be in the know. Just sign up for that uh, email newsletter on the website. Uh, One last bit of uh, news. Let's uh, say, not news, but uh, thanks, kudos, if you will, to uh, our pal Jerry Payne down in Metro Atlanta, who is uh, safely uh, distancing uh, from um, uh, all that uh, might uh, ill him and and his his colleagues down there. He's doing all the right things and uh, including, of course, uh, putting all of our uh, editing pieces together for this episode and all of our episodes to date. Uh, and we appreciate his efforts as always. It's uh, Jerry Payne Audio Excellence. And uh, this week, once again, he has uh, risen to the call. We appreciate him. We appreciate you. And uh, I thank you uh, tremendously for listening. And uh, let's uh, leave you again with, uh, we always look for an excuse for, you know, great uh, theme songs and, and great audio. And uh, although we've played it before, why the hell won't we play it again? Because it's probably the best and maybe the only that I know of. If you know of any others, please let me know. Uh, the theme song 
a theme song, the best theme song, maybe the only theme song of the WHA's uh, motley crew of teams. And that, of course, being the New England and then Hartford Whalers. Here it is. It's the song you know, you love, you can't live without it. It's the uh, Brass Bonanza. Here it comes. Take care, everybody. See you next time.